You're listening to the Finding Unique Value Podcast with Jay Sparks. Hello, this is Jay Sparks, your host of Finding Unique Value, where I'm the bringer of brilliant people that can find unique value in their business or industry. And I'm excited today to be joined by Peter Maglathan, and hopefully he can help me with the, uh, the pronunciation of his last name. But he's found value using tools that by themselves have created value for different industries, but that's really not particularly new. What, what he's done, and what appears he's done, is he's um, found a group of uh, people that uh, he can combine this technology with. So his firm is combining the technology with this critical group in our society that are almost hidden from a networking and messaging perspective, but they're vital to our growth. And I am fascinated uh, with this idea, and I can't wait to learn how he came up with it and where he wants to take it. So, Peter, welcome uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jay. I'm very happy to be here. Great, great. Could you take a minute and uh, just introduce yourself and, and what you're currently working on? Because this is really a really interesting idea, and it's one of those things that's out in the open, but no one's no one's uh, uh, taking the reins and, and trying to uh, connect the right parties. Absolutely. Happy to. So, um, I guess just by way of personal background, um, you know, I grew up in Darien, Connecticut, the oldest of three children. Um, my wife and I live in uh, in Boston, Massachusetts, which is where Tradehounds is headquartered. Um, and you know, the the premise behind Tradehounds, well, I guess, just to take another step back, you know, I um, from a career perspective, I, I graduated college. Uh, in 07, not really knowing what I what I wanted to do with my life, like I think a lot of college students do, and I felt that um, investment banking would provide, you know, at the very least, a great platform. Um, so I went, you know, moved to New York to uh, to work at UBS Investment Bank about six months before the financial crisis, which was, uh, you know, unfortunate timing. But at the same time, I wouldn't really trade that career experience for anything because, um, you know, to go through adversity like that. Uh, real adversity like that early in your career, I think teaches you a lot of things, right? I think that, um, you know, nothing is, is really uh, sacred and everlasting that, um, you know, people lose their jobs, right? Uh, and it, it was a, a, an amazing experience also from a work ethic perspective, because I realized kind of how hard I was capable of working. Um, and so I worked in, you know, I'll call it traditional finance in New York City for five years, um, got to a point where I either needed to um, dedicate my my career to finance or to or to pivot right and the and the one way I thought would be best to pivot was to was to go to business school so I came back up to Boston to attend business school and really had no intention of starting a company but um, I had no idea how to didn't think I was qualified to but that's exactly what I did um, in 2013 with two classmates and we founded what um, what is now called Catalan Technologies which is a um, a technology platform that connects freelance business consultants with, um, with corporations around the world through, uh, you know, pretty sophisticated matching software, right? So as opposed to hiring a, um, a big firm for a lot of money, why, why not get matched with the right person at the right time at the right price, right? So um, I co-ran that with my founders for about five years um, and exited a couple of years ago. And part of me thought I wanted to go into venture investing, given all the experience I had had in fundraising and running a company, but I, you know, I started to realize that, um, that where my heart really lied was in, in building businesses from the ground up. So I ran into, fortunately, my, my now business partner, David Broomhead, at a conference I was speaking at, and he approached me with this idea, which was, hey, there is this 
big, deep demographic of workers out there, right? Commercial construction workers, millions of them, um, who are now very actively and very frequently using, you know, mobile phones or smartphones for a variety of reasons on and off the job site. However, no one's been able to build something that uh, amalgamates them in one place and and provides them a tool through which they can kind of take control over their careers, right? And so when you think about um, the rest of the world, right, we'll call them kind of more office worker-like folks. Uh, there's LinkedIn, there are other platforms that kind of allow us to, to create a digital storefront uh, of ourselves, right? You know, before coming on and speaking with you, Jay, I looked you up on LinkedIn, I do it for, I use LinkedIn for a variety of reasons over mm -hmm. the course of my career, right? However, for the commercial construction worker, um, written resumes simply don't really fulfill their needs, right? So if you're a commercial carpenter, electrician, welder, et cetera, you tend to um, demonstrate your skill set through imagery, right? Uh, you know, by either um, portraying images that are work in progress, finished projects, you know, obviously with some text attached to it, but the most mm -hmm. compelling form of, um, of sales collateral, right, for, uh, for commercial construction workers is images. And so, we, we needed to build something that replicated the, the pretty tried and true habits of the workers in order to, um, in order to provide value, right? So we, we founded TradeHounds a couple of years ago, and our mission really is to um, improve the everyday lives of the commercial construction worker, largely because we felt that uh, they had, you know, they had adopted modern day technology, but hadn't been, been built the tools in which to uh, in which to really harness it, right? Um, and so we we launched a mobile application on on Apple and, and Google about five months ago, a highly simplistic platform that allows workers to sign up through their phone number, engage with each other, share work they're proud of, seek advice, create a digital storefront for themselves, and it's and the and the response to the market has been um, really really encouraging. So over the course of those five months, we've had. Uh, more than 50,000 workers across the country in every state and every area code um, sign up uh, and utilize it, right? Which, which suggests to us that we're really onto something here, that there is this kind of latent demand for a useful piece of technology dedicated to this, uh, to this worker, right? Largely because they have a different set of habits, um, it's a very distinct culture with a distinct language. And if you build something that is conducive uh, to that culture and those habits, then um, you know, usage should kind of take care of itself, if you will. That is incredible. You've uh, touched on uh, many, many things. I could probably spend an hour on each. But um, before we get into to, to trade hounds, because obviously that, that's really the, the thing that you're, you're working on right now, but you said a couple of things early on in your introduction. The introduction was, was fantastic, by the way. Um, most people that go to business school um, uh, don't want to start a corporation, I found. Right. And it always kind of struck me as odd. I think, well, geez, now that you learn more about the theory about how this works, it should be easier and you should want to do it more. And, and the, the theory is, well, you study what goes wrong. <laughs> right. You study right. all the problems. And, and a lot of these uh, people that go to business school, they can run a business better, but they don't want to start one. They want to be you know, an executive. And now they have, you know, this this uh, theoretical foundation to base a lot of their decisions, which is certainly helpful than having none of that foundation. But how how was it that you 
it excited you and you've not only done it once, but you've done it twice and, and you're working on your second successful company. That's really, uh, really incredible. What, why were, why was that experience maybe different for you? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, it's something I've, I've thought a lot about over mm-hmm. the last several years. So, you know, I think there are a number of factors uh, that together contributed to, um, to my, to my decision to, to become an entrepreneur. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd say first and foremost, the, the environment in which I was placed at Harvard Business School mm-hmm. with a lot of other very smart, very capable, very ambitious people, combined with a program they had recently started called the Field Program. It was only in its second year of existence in which every first-year student was actually required to launch a quote-unquote revenue-generating business, right? So they, they effectively put you in this uncomfortable position of, uh, ah. of doing it regar- regardless of whether or not you want to. And I feel very <laughs> fortunate to have gone through that experience. Um, okay. And, you know, from a founding team perspective, we didn't really think that much about, you know, uh, complementary skill sets or experiences that were diverse, right? So mm-hmm. the you know, the three of us who started the company were really relatively similar on paper, right? Which was a a challenge over time when we were trying to seek investors to fund the business. But I think ultimately what mattered was it was people who liked each other, people who trusted each other and people who um, respected each other, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of where our gaps in competency competency were, it was Mm -hmm. critical that those three, uh, those three things were true. Um, and so because it was the first year of my, uh, my business school term, because I was forced to actually pursue it, at, at least for over the short term, and because I had the backing and partnership of a strong team, mm-hmm. it, it gave me the encouragement to actually dedicate the remainder of my time in business school to proving out the concept, right? And I think business school is such a phenomenal environment for trying to prove out business concepts because it's effectively it's not risk-free but it's it's risk it's it's less risky right so sure um you could always go find a you know a well-paying job after school but why not take that year and a half to try to prove something out get to a point where you can actually make an informed decision about whether or not you want to pursue it after school right so we Mm -hmm. we had a pretty atypical atypical business school experience and that you know, for our second year, which tends to be a more laid back year where a lot of people are traveling, we were, you know, working 50, 60 hours a week plus classes on the business, right? And so because we had that year and a half to effectively prove out the concept, we raised two rounds of funding while in school, right? The first one being led by Mark Cuban and the second by a legit VC. Mm -hmm. It gave all three of us who didn't come into school intending to start a business, a lot of promise that, hey, this is, this is what we should be dedicating our careers to. We've proven mm-hmm. we're good enough at it. We've proven yeah. the idea has traction and um, we would regret for the rest of our lives not pursuing it, right? And so I think once you get the bug, it doesn't really leave you, right? So I, I entered business school really not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. I actually thought I wanted to go work kind of as an operator at a traditional company, a non-financial company. Sure, um, sure. Entrepreneur, entrepreneurship is that on steroids, right? Because yeah. <laughs> you're wearing a bunch of different hats. You're required to do so many different things that are rapid pace. And that was really fulfilling to me, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think that I'm someone who thrives 
uh, with a list to get done every day. As an entrepreneur, your list is endless. You, um, you almost are never able to complete it. Uh, and so, you know, once, um, once I, once I exited my first company, as I, as I touched on before, you know, the, the, the prospect of going into venture capital was appealing, right? Largely from a, a pay and, and lifestyle perspective. And I, um, and I kicked the tires a bunch, but again, realized that what really fulfills me is going from zero to one um, in, in, in startups, right? Whether it's technology business or not, I think there's something really, really fulfilling and attractive while also being risky about taking, a, taking an idea and through sheer will, expertise, uh, and collaboration, creating a business out of it. Um, but I, you know, I, I am, I, I think, I would hope most entrepreneurs would tell you that it's a combination of, of skill and luck that ends up really, um, really contributing to your, to your success. But, uh, but, but luck really only comes about if you put yourself out there, right? And I'm thankful that um, I took the field program seriously at Harvard Business School that I um, dedicated the time. I didn't, you know, I didn't look at it just as a project, but actually as a potential career opportunity because it's effectively changed my life. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm uh, so much more fulfilled now than I actually envisioned myself being in my early to mid thirties, given the the career path I've chosen. No, that's incredible. Well, and and you've um, uh, in your own words, uh, you you've explained some of the the keys that you see with some of the the titans out there. Which you know, who knows? You you may be one of them someday, right? You talked about um, liking and trusting and and respecting being really important. For the original team, and that's something that anybody could have, right? That's not something you need to be born with, or you need to get from somebody else, right? You can, you can kind of, uh, you know, be those those qualities. And um, I like the fact too that uh, this isn't about what what Peter did, right? It's about kind of you being part of a, a team, because I don't know anyone that's been successful by themselves, right? So you have to figure out how to how to work with people that are like you and, and maybe not like you. So that's uh, that's really uh, that's that's really fascinating, and. Um, um, I'm glad it's uh, it's worked out so quickly. So how, how did you get through those times when, because the, the lists are endless, right? Um, you could work 24 hours a day and still not have enough time, still not get to everything you want to do. So for you, what was it uh, before, you know, we moved to, to trade hounds, you know, back in at, when you're in business school, what was it that was keeping you um, motivated through those times when it just didn't feel like things were moving or uh, with any new business, you have to try some things. They don't work. So you have to try something yeah. else. And, or maybe um, you don't agree with your partner, but you're going to do it anyway. Hopefully you're using the Jeff Bezos um, idea of uh, uh, disagree and commit, but that's not always as easy as it sounds. <laughs> you know, if you disagree, you disagree. Um, so how, how did you get through those, those, those rough patches? Because I think that um, people think that when it happens to them, they're the only one it's ever happened to. And everyone else, like you, everything just worked great. You know, you had this great business and just, everything just worked and you're, you're just reaping the rewards. But um, I like to focus on kind of the hard parts, too, and just get your take on what, what worked for you so maybe someone else could, could benefit from that. Yeah. So I know I've painted kind of a rosy picture, but ultimately for anyone who starts a business, um, mm. it's going to be really, really bumpy, right? The, mm. Relative to a more traditional career, the highs are going to be higher, but the lows are going to be lower because almost everything is kind of existential, right? When you're, um, when you're a few person team that's thinly yeah. funded, things that go wrong may actually end up, uh, ending the company's life, right? Which yeah. is, uh, which is a, I think early on was a difficult thing for me to grapple with, but I got more comfortable with it. I'd say, 
Um, you know, I'd say there are a few things that uh, that allowed us to, and this this goes both for my experience at Catalan and for my experience at Tradehounds that I've, that I've translated over to to my new company that um, that allowed us to kind of like keep the keep the faith, if you will. Yeah. I think yeah. I've already touched on this, but ultimately being around people that you can lean on, right, and you can that sympathize with you both personally and professionally is huge, right? Because ultimately any entrepreneur's journey is likely going to be highly emotional, likely going to be highly challenging, likely going to be pretty volatile. And so from a founding team and from a kind of personal team perspective, you need people you can, you can lean on. Right. And I think that ultimately had I been trying to do this by myself as a single person founding team, I I would have failed. Right. I think that ultimately you, you really need people that, um, when times are tough, you hunker down and you figure it out and you talk through it versus feeling like it's all up to you, even though, you know, Hey, if you're one of three people, a lot is up to you, but it's not yeah. everything. Um, yeah. I say, you know, I say the second piece is, and this is a piece of advice I give to all entrepreneurs was we had such a bias for action. And it's something that we have at Tradehounds as well that was really critical to maintaining momentum, right? I think ultimately, there, especially at an early stage company, every decision you make is going to be based on imperfect data, right? You're, you're not going to know if something's going to work. You're not going to be able to be 100% confident that something you're trying is going to have the intended impact, mm-hmm. but you got to do it, right? Because yeah. if you don't, the... Um, the the result of inaction is is stagnation and stagnation is the is the ultimate form of uh of failure for for any sort of early stage startup right because really what you're trying to do at an early stage company is progress every day right it's it's different than a big company people and hey i I, there are plenty of phenomenal big companies out there but at big companies people can hide at big companies progress doesn't necessarily need to be made every day but at Mm -hmm. a startup you need to make progress every day. And, and that's where prioritization comes into play, right? Ultimately, there are a million different things, like you said, I or my partners can be doing on a daily basis. And the goal setting that we do, you know, we did quarterly goals, still do quarterly goals at my current yeah. company. You need to make sure that literally everything you're doing um, matches or, you know, can be matched to one of the overarching quarterly goals because any sort of wasted time or any sort of action that isn't additive towards what really matters at that point in time is likely going to be useless. So I think, you know, I think that bias towards action, just kind of closing a loop there, uh, allows you to move forward from either mistakes or through difficult times in, in a way that, uh, that, continually discussing or debating or strategizing doesn't allow you to do, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so this bias for action, I think, is so, um, so, so critical. And then, you know, the final piece is if you believe that what you're doing is A, a commercially viable entity, and B, is something that's actually a good thing for the world, then that helps you get through tough times, right? Uh, And so, you know, at, at my prior company and my current company, I fundamentally held those beliefs. And I think when times are good, you don't really need to uh, lean on that type of stuff. But when times are bad, it allows you to say, all right, hey, we just got to pick ourselves up. Like what we're doing 
we believe will work and what we're doing, we believe is going to help people. Therefore, uh, you know, we, we, we can't kind of feel sorry for ourselves. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Cause I think that's, that's a lot of mistakes that, uh, um, new uh, business owners make, right? They're doing it for the money. And that's just not enough right. when the bolts are flying and you're having, you know, three, four bad days in a row. It, it's very difficult for you to get up and do it so you can get another couple of dollars. Uh, but if you're trying to prove people's lives, like you said, then that's something, you know, there are people counting on you that don't even know you yet. You got to figure it out. So I, I can see how that would uh, how that would work. And and speaking of improving people's lives, it's it's amazing that you found uh, this massive, massive group of people that we all know and see every day if, if you live in a city, for sure, and, and you found a way to connect them. That is really uh, unbelievable. And, and I was talking to you before we, before we started, um, the, uh, the construction firms that we're, we're working with on, on, on some uh, investment uh, real estate projects, you know, they're all complaining about not being able to find these workers. So I may be able to introduce you to some if you're not already working with them that I'm sure would would uh, would, would benefit from this. But is is the value more for the individual uh, people using the app, or could the value also be for you know the owners of the construction company, or where do you see this playing, or is it everybody? It just depends. They just use it differently. It's <clears throat> a really good question. Uh, and so I think what makes Tradehouse different than companies that have sought to solve the matching workers, construction workers with opportunities problem is that we're going about it in a fundamentally different way, right? So there are, there are plenty of small to mid-sized or even failed construction job boards out there, mm-hmm. but we felt that growth strategy was misguided because it engenders a very intermittent engagement model, right? So if you're yeah. a job board, you only use a job board if you're out of work which tends to happen, you know, not all that frequently on an individual basis. There also can be like adverse selection issues with a job board, especially in a tight labor market, like we're in in construction. So, hey, I, I don't want to generalize too much, but the, the most desired workers are those who have jobs, but are potentially yep. looking to move, right? Yeah. Uh, yep. Which is something that LinkedIn has been able to, to accomplish in, in, um, in kind of the office worker world. Yep. And, and so we felt that, the the end game here right is is to solve the the is to help solve the labor problem that's one of the one of the outcomes we seek to to achieve but we felt that the way to get there was to provide a tool for the workers that they want to use every day because if you're able to do that several things are possible right number 1 you'll have the their attention on a daily basis which also allows you to collect the um, the required data that that will enable you to make the matches, right? Um, and it also allows you to position yourselves not just as a you know as a job board or a you know every few months utility, but as something that they feel is vital to their everyday lives, but also that they will use in a variety of different fashions depending on where they are in their career cycle, right? So with Tradehounds, if you're happy in your job and you're working your butt off uh, as a, you know, commercial welder in Albany, New York, you know, what you'll likely use Tradehounds for is to showcase your stuff, maybe seek advice from other guys, joke with guys on the platform, and save your work to your profile in a way that should a rainy day come or should you want to move, you'll be able to leverage, right? If you are a guy who, uh, or a gal who 
is seeking work, you'll use it for that, for that purpose, right? And so we felt like it was really important to take this community approach to the problem in order to develop the asset, which is the commercial construction worker in mass, right? And we don't want, you know, several thousand, we want several million yep. in a way that uh, all, all the other kind of enterprise ecosystem players would want to participate, right? So, you know, whether it's general contractors, big and small, whether it's subcontractors, big and small, whether it's recruiting firms, right? We will own the worker, therefore they will seek access. And then on the flip side, there are so many different companies seeking to, um, seeking to access these folks in a more authentic conversational way. So, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's Ford trucks, Dunkin' Donuts, Carhartt, Timberland, several of which we're already working with, yes, they can advertise on during NFL games or they can put up billboards, but ultimately they're seeking to find better and more targeted ways to participate in construction conversations that, uh, that positions their brand in a way that will, that will drive sales, right? And sure, all these guys, all the, a lot of these workers are on Facebook, they're on Instagram, but the fundamental distinction to understand is that when they're on Facebook or Instagram, these workers are fathers, brothers, friends, et cetera. Yeah. They're mm -hmm. not welders, plumbers, electricians, right? So they, the lens they're looking through on Facebook is fundamentally social and like in, in many instances, political. On trade hounds, their persona is their trade, right? Which is yeah. highly mm -hmm. attractive to companies because they are seeking to, um, to be in touch with them when they're looking through a construction lens. And on TradeHounds, yeah. they are 100% of the time doing that. Mm -hmm. Now, does the issue with, with unions get in, in, in the way of this at all, or does this help that, uh, that type of structure, or is that a, a, a different problem that needs to be solved? That's a really good question. So, you know, unions, I, I didn't understand all that much about, uh, about unions themselves uh, until, I, until I joined TradeHounds, and it's been really interesting and actually um, it's been really great to, to meet with union leaders and to talk to union workers to get a mm -hmm. sense for you know, what the motivations are, what the, what the value is the unions provide. And so unions are obviously still a, a very kind of uh, relevant player in the construction field, right? Certainly yeah. more relevant in places like Boston, New York, et cetera, versus, mm -hmm. you know, the Midwest or the Southeast of the United States. That being said, they're, um, they're, they're a force to be reckoned with. And, yeah. and a lot of folks in the industry, regardless of whether they're right or wrong, feel strongly one way or the other, right? If you are, if you are a union electrician, you feel very strongly that being in the union is, um, is the way to go, uh, almost to a point where it's a bit self-righteous. And if you're non-union, you feel like the, you know, the reasons for you being non-union are also undeniably right. Right. And so there's a lot of conversation that goes on on a daily basis on trade hounds about the merits of being union, non-union. Mm -hmm. Some of it is constructive, some of it not that constructive. But at the end of the day, what trade hounds is meant to be is a, a platform for these workers to, to discuss things like this. And mm -hmm. we are not a curator of content. We are mm -hmm. a facilitator of discussions. And so we've, we've actually met with several union leaders in Massachusetts. Uh, and they're, they're fascinated by what we're doing. And, I think, it, you know, initially they tend to be pretty skeptical, understandably, but by the end of the conversation, what tends to happen is they say, hey, you know, 
we, we feel our union provides a phenomenal service and a lot of value to our workers. Mm-hmm. We also are seeking more, more good members every day. Yeah. So why can't we use TradeHounds as a, effectively a recruiting tool to draw more members into our union in a world where finding these guys is really hard? Right. And so, yep. you know, I ultimately believe that we there will be a, a great way for us to, to work with the unions. I think it's still a bit premature now. I will tell mm-hmm. you that the the union non-union split on the platform is probably 50-50. Right. So there are oh, wow. a lot of non-union guys and a lot of yep. union guys, which which is great because it engenders interesting conversations and discussion. It also goes to show you that ultimately when it comes to the <laughs> construction workforce, Mm-hmm. Whether they're your union or non-union, there's still this unifying, overarching theme, which is you know your your brothers in construction, right? Yep. And and yep. I, and I know I'm leaning heavily on on kind of uh, you know using him or or, or male terms, but it is a you know 98% male industry, yep. Yep. and so I think that you know the the brotherhood of construction is unifying, and there are union non-union issues that are constantly mm-hmm. being debated and worked out. And it's something that we hope we can help facilitate uh, and ultimately help unions grow, you know, help non-union companies recruit workers and grow in a world where I think there's room for both. Wow. That, that's fantastic. I, I think we need to get you into political office too, because if you can help <laughs> use that same yeah, uh, approach sure that. between different, but that would be uh, that would be great. Cause I, I wasn't expecting um, to have, that kind of response that, that that's really fantastic. That makes a lot more sense, right? That that's the way it should be. Let the market decide, and it shouldn't really matter what side you're on because they both have advantages uh, that you can you can take advantage of. I think of it the way we look at our investments. They're neither good nor bad. They're either right for what you're trying to do, or they're not right. You know, um, so to have a an opinion one way or the other doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But I have two other uh, questions. These are more type of social media type things. I don't know if these have crept into in, into this platform or not, but one of the uh, challenges with social media is, you know, people that are, you know, particularly negative and, you know, all it takes is a couple of those folks and all of a sudden it can really, um, you know, change the, the nature of, of the discussion. And I worked construction when I was younger and, you know, it, it was, uh, it, it could be a, a challenging uh, situation sometimes. So I'm wondering, is that as a facilitator versus a curator of, uh, of discussion, is there anything that has, um, uh, been an issue or, or things are working the way you would expect and that is you know all adults and we're looking to to uh, showcase ourselves and and there's plenty of work to go around we just want the work that's you know the best for us is that uh how is that, how yeah, is that it's a good question out? so you know i i'd say that we are we are facilitators not curators with a caveat right so mm-hmm. we reserve the right to remove anything and this is in our terms of service, and it's something yeah. we take very seriously to remove anything that's offensive, discriminatory, mm-hmm. violent, right? We, that, that, that has no place on trade hounds. It should have no place mm-hmm. anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And, and those are the rules of the road, and, and I think most guys understand that. Sure. Are there bad actors out there? Yes. Yeah. Uh, does, do, do things get posted to the platform every once in a while that are inappropriate? Yes. Do we remove them? Absolutely. And I think okay. what's been really cool to experience on trade hounds is if you build something guys care about they tend yep. to self-police police it right sure, so sure. ultimately i think i think what we built is becoming important to guys lives therefore they don't they don't tolerate stuff that 
could potentially put the existence of the platform at risk. Oh, good. That's wow. that's 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 yeah. an imperfect mechanism, but I think especially one at scale is really valuable because, yeah. um, and that's kind of a byproduct of building something people people really love. That yeah. being said, you know the, the there is the ongoing challenge in an open kind of platform like this of ensuring that the rules of the road are understood and that mm -hmm. content is removed in a, um, you know, in a very fast manner once it's, um, once it's posted to the platform. So that's kind of our overarching philosophy. I, I think that ultimately when it comes to, you're right, I think construction workers, even maybe more so than other types of workers can be uh, highly critical of each other's work. I think largely because it's, you're able to kind of tell defects or understand the quality of work through the naked eye if you're a construction worker. Yeah. And so, you know, what we try to facilitate is, is not the types of conversations that are all oh, that, you know, that looks like crap or, you know, yeah. what the heck's going on there. It's more, it's more advice oriented, like, yeah. And, and I think what's been really cool to understand is in, in construction, there are very distinct levels uh, of experience and skill, right? So when you first enter the industry, you're an apprentice. After several years and um, demonstrated expertise, you become a journeyman. And then, you know, the ultimate goal is to become a master. The, the apprentices of the world are constantly seeking out ways to get better and advice and trade mm -hmm. is a phenomenal platforms to which they can do that. And the masters tend to be people uh, for the most part, again, I'm generalizing, who are yeah. proud of their skills and love to help out the younger guys, largely because construction's been so good to them over time. And yeah. so, hey, there's plenty of, you know, I'll call it spicy conversation that, <laughs> that, that will devolve. But at the same yeah. time, I'd say the overarching kind of theme in conversations tends to be, this is how you can get better. Uh, or very complimentary, right? Because for the most part, a lot of guys are posting stuff they're proud of. But it's, it's you know, it's something that, uh, it's, it's a really thoughtful question and I think an issue that's yeah. going to uh, maintain top of mind and our philosophy will continue mm -hmm. to evolve. I think the, 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 I think the most important thing to understand is that we want this to be a platform for them and that yeah. uh, by enabling them to effectively determine what gets posted and what gets removed, understanding we have kind of um, the ultimate authority, it, it tends to lead to content that is, that is really engaging and interesting to these guys. Wow, that's incredible. Well, that, that is uh, incredibly hard to engineer and enforce, right? Because you have to make someone want to do that and you can't just tell them to. So it sounds like you provided the right, uh, the right environment, which is, you know, what leadership is all about. That that's really a, uh, that's really amazing because that doesn't happen, certainly doesn't happen by it by itself. But uh, as you said, I mean, sometimes uh, street justice does work in the right way. <laughs> it's not, yeah. a, not not the best thing to, to always use, but it sounds like they're self-policing. That that's, that's great. You'll get more people and you'll continue to see this, um, you know, parabolic uh, growth. Now, because you can see with the naked eye and because, you know, the, I remember some of the carpenters I work with, some of them were clearly Finnish guys. They uh, sweated every single detail. They would lose their mind if one thing was was off. You didn't have to tell them or look over their shoulder. They were really good. And some guys could care less. They wanted to just be framing houses and moving to the next one, right? They didn't want to do any of the any of the detail work. And part of that's just our cognitive preferences, right? Now that I know more about how the how the brain works. So from a rating standpoint, you don't really. You know, I assume, I'm assuming there is no ratings per se. It's more like are you you know apprentice, journeyman, or master? Or are there other ways that within each kind of level that that uh, 
they can get rated? Is it just because more people are talking to you or, or is there some form of, you know, quote unquote, liking the person? Like how, yep. how is that hierarchy done in a way that isn't, uh, you know, punitive or isn't based on one person's opinion, right? Which is what you don't want. You want the group saying, yeah, he's not good because he said he's good. He's good because all of us say he's good. Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, ratings are a really complicated, interesting, potentially mm -hmm. powerful beast, if you will, right? I think mm -hmm. If you think about a platform like Uber, they've been they've been constantly evolving how their rating system works mm -hmm. for you know since their existence, uh, and and so we're thinking about it in a similar way in which you know it it can't be this simplistic form of uh, perfectly transparent ratings. There needs to be some nuance, and there needs to be it needs to be structured appropriately before rolling it out broadly, and so. The way it works now is, you know, when you post a, um, something to the platform and, uh, and let's, call, let's, let's, let's say it's something you're proud of, um, mm -hmm. workers can like it. They can actually dislike it, which is a feature that is unique that we're, we're trying to understand whether or not it's hugely valuable. But I think guys like it because it's different. Yeah. You can like it, dislike it, or comment on it, right? Uh -huh. And it becomes very, very clear very quickly what guys think of someone's work by the number of likes in the comments, right? Because mm -hmm. I hear you, for a Finnish carpenter, I think mm -hmm. you and I can tell a good job, but for, mm -hmm. for you know, pipe fitting, welding, mm -hmm. electrician, ele electrical work, that's the type of stuff that requires real experts in construction to opine on, um, yep. which is cool because there isn't really a place for them to seek out that validation or that Mm -hmm. um, or that criticism. And, um, and so very quickly, because it is a relatively homogenous construction only world, you're kind of able to tell, you know, what the sentiment is, if you will, on a given post, what we're going to, you know, what we're starting to consider over time is, mm -hmm. uh, is some semblance of a of a, of a rating. I'm not sure it needs to be on a post by post basis because mm -hmm. the, you know, the feed is intended to kind of amalgamate a lot of different archetypes of content, right? It could be yeah. funny stuff. It could be um, text-only questions. It could be pictures of stuff you're proud of. It could be, you know, all sorts of stuff, job openings. Um, but when it comes to the actual hiring functionality, I think there, there, there's a lot to consider, right? Because how we structure that functionality will fundamentally determine how successful it is. And so we spend a lot of time talking both to workers and to um, direct hiring companies and recruiters around like, hey, if, you know, when we when we build this, if we're starting to, what should, you know, what, what should it look like, right? And I think construction, the qualifications and requirements for construction are just fundamentally different than they are in other industries, right? So things like uh, certifications uh, around, you know, safety and skills are important. That's not something, you know, I, during my time in finance, would, would, would ever seek out or use uh, to, to sell myself, but it's stuff that these guys constantly need to refresh, and, um, and it can be a big selling point, right? And then I think that some semblance of a, of a rating system on the work that they choose to mm -hmm. demonstrate in their work profile is important, right? So I, I, I haven't talked about this, but there's a bifurcation on the platform around stuff you're posting to the feed, which is just meant for general consumption and stuff you want to use to demonstrate your abilities, right? And I think that having some sort of feedback or rating mechanism for the stuff that is meant to be 
kind of work fodder or, you know, sales, sales, you know, sales collateral for these guys when trying to find a job. Uh, I think it, it could be valuable to, to have some semblance of a rating system. I think, I think for the time being, we're still in research mode because yeah. uh, when you start to consider a rating system and, you know, all these, whether it's Yelp or Uber, et cetera, yeah. it, it, it's a complicated beast. And, and, and I think that ultimately we want to make sure that whatever we, whatever we roll out there doesn't have any unintended consequences or like, you know, derivative effects that are that are negative because that can that could lead to bad blood which is the last thing we want we want to have happen sure sure yeah people won't 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 forget that if it's a negative thing right and it's not uh not warranted but you you brought up one thing that is really interesting because i didn't think about this 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 platform could be used for this but could someone you know particularly someone that's uh newer in their uh in their roles or maybe isn't where they want to be could they be using this as a way to help them themselves get better by getting feedback, right? So someone knows that maybe they're not the best and they've seen some other people that are better, but they don't really know how to kind of get from point A to point B. Is that where some of these masters can can uh, reach out and help them? Or is that something that they can get feedback from other people? Is that is it really, can it be used that way? Or is that really not a, a something that this can be used for? So it absolutely can, and it already is being used that yeah. way, even though we don't have great functionality to support it. So. Mm-hmm. You know, on a daily basis, we have we have guys, you know, kind of regardless of experience, throwing out trade related questions around something they're struggling with. Right. Um, And I think a combination of guys feeling like they're on the same team and want to help each other combined with with wanting to show their expertise uh, has resulted in like really, really great responses that seem to be ultimately pretty helpful because, um, you know, if you're, if you're a master, like you love showing off your stuff. And yeah. at the same time, if it's someone in construction that, that is non-competitive to you and that you can help, why not do it? Sure. And, uh, yeah. and at the same time, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're an apprentice, if you're someone relatively new, um, there is so much you don't know. Right. And, Sometimes asking the foreman or asking the guy next to you isn't going to lead to the, to the best outcome. So we yeah. we absolutely believe that that's a key value proposition for the platform. It's already happening. We're starting to think about how do we support that even better, right? I think some semblance of like trade-specific forums could be really helpful because, mm-hmm. you know, plumbers are looking for help from plumbers and electricians are looking for help for help from electricians. Right now it's kind of all in one place. But it's been really it's been really cool to see that to see that happen because that's 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 real impact, right? That's that's not just allowing guys to like each other's photos. That's that's having that's having an impact on the ground and enabling yeah. guys to get better, which is great. Wow, that's incredible. And um uh switching topics just, just a little bit, being uh an, an investment manager, <laughs> I'm always interested in the uh, in the economics and I was wondering if there's anything you can share about the business model and, and how you either are making money or intend to make money. Uh, again, I'm not looking for, I don't know if how, how far along you are on this, but I'd be interested in your thoughts, even if it's just something that you're thinking about at this point, um, what, what you're, what you're looking to do. hundred percent. Yeah. Happy to talk about it. So we are still pre-revenue, but we've done a lot of work and have pretty mm-hmm. grand plans around mm-hmm. commercializing the platform. Right. As I, as I mentioned earlier, we feel like it was really, really critical to establish the community, you know, a, a deep, engaged uh, community that loves the platform prior to monetization, largely because if you do it too soon, it can, um, 
it can have a negative impact on the user experience. And also, if you do it prior to scale, you won't necessarily be able to deliver on it. So we think there are two pretty obvious, relatively proven uh, revenue channels that we'll be able to stand up, call it in the back half of this year, uh, or begin to stand up in the back half of this year, right? The first one we've already talked about a bit, which is jobs, right? So um, the, the current landscape for hiring construction is highly antiquated and it's highly inefficient, which is leading to this you know, this problem, like you mentioned earlier, of, yeah. of companies not being able to find workers quickly that, that match the need of their jobs, right? And, and sure, there is a bit of a skill shortage, but at the same time, there's way more inefficiency in the market that there, than, than there needs to be, right? Largely yeah. because of the, the existing options, right? So the existing options are Craigslist. It's wild to me, but people are still using Craigslist <laughs> to an extent in this yeah. industry, right? There are recruiting firms, which you know, there's a place for them, but at the same time, they, they charge 15 to 20% of a first year salary, right? So companies, yeah. a lot of companies just don't want to use them. And then yeah. there's word of mouth, right? Which is never going to go away, but it's impossible to plan for and it's impossible to scale, right? Yeah. So we believe that, you know, if we, if we bring the workers together, you know, collect the data, have them use this platform on a daily basis, we're going to be able to, a la LinkedIn, capture this passive market in a way no one's been able to before. Sure, the job boards and the recruiters might still capture a bunch of the kind of active market. But like I was saying earlier, what a lot of, a lot of what these companies really want is that guy who is working already but isn't 100% happy or is considering making a move. H how do you tap into that? You can't right now, really, yeah. right? But if, um, if there's a way for a worker, which they can right now, to you know privately that they're looking for work, right? We know they're, you know, we know where they're currently working. We know where they live. We can push a job to them in a relatively private way mm -hmm. based on our data set and algorithms that is going to be hugely powerful at scale, right? And, and because of our delivery model being technology-based, sure, there's a lot of upfront cost to build it, but to deliver that service we don't need an army of recruiters or an army of salespeople, right? Like the, the data itself is the underpinning of that and will enable it to happen. Sure, it's gonna, it's gonna take a while to really, to really get it right, but we think that the, the community we build will ultimately be the, the key input that, that allows us to, to achieve that. And because the current alternatives are either too expensive or fundamentally inefficient, there's this, there's this obvious gap that we can fill. So, you know, I think jobs is, is number one. Um, but at the same time, there's a big opportunity to partner with brands to, who desperately are seeking access to, to this type of worker. What, you know, what's really interesting about construction workers relative to, um, to other workers is that they're highly, highly product-oriented to get their jobs done, right? So yeah. whether it's boots, drills, you know, other apparel, right, safety glasses, gloves, yeah. hammers, like yeah. they are carrying around dozens of things and they yeah. feel really strongly about those things because they enable them to get their job done. Then you, you go further into, you know, trucks, into, you know, sports, into beer, yeah. right? There, there yeah. are a ton of big companies who, who really, really want to capture more market share across this demographic, but sure. the existing options again are, are challenging largely because they're uh, untargeted and, and highly expensive. And so again, we think that we can, we can provide those companies access in a way that 
is far more targeted that they kind of know who they're reaching because of what trade hounds is and mm -hmm. um, will enable them to just really participate in the platform in a way that will start to influence these guys purchasing decisions and they're making these purchases all the time um, so they need to be they need to be frequently engaged that's a, you know that's a, that's a tremendous point and another yet another uh, incredible opportunity you have because of all this hard work you've already uh, you've already put into this that's really uh, that's really amazing and, and very certainly were very well thought out um, I want to be respectful of your time you've, you've done a, a great job you've given some great advice for a whole range of people whether you're starting out in your uh, in your business or you're hitting a rough patch or um, looking to connect people in the way that uh, Uber and Airbnb did. I mean, this is exactly uh, that type of uh, type of situation, and uh, I think it's going to be very, very successful. So I'm sure that anybody that's a good business person or a uh, professional investor or just has common sense is is probably uh, excited to hear this and, and rooting for you like I am. Um, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what, what's the best way for people to uh, to get in touch with you, Peter? Yeah, email is probably best. Um, I'm on email all day, every day. My email address is just peter at tradehounds.com. Um, and I'd be you know, more than happy to speak with anyone interested. Fantastic. Great. Peter at tradehounds.com. Uh, that is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Well, excellent. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate uh, your time. And uh, thank you for listening to Finding Unique Value. And we look forward to sharing our uh, next guest with you. Bye for now. The Finding Unique Value podcast is sponsored by Elliott Asset Management. We help successful entrepreneurs create wealth outside of their business. To discover the five ways successful entrepreneurs become intelligent investors and grow wealth beyond their business, visit ElliottAm.com slash webinar.